Welcome, Frows and Frauleins, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the September 1979 issue on sale June 19th, Uncanny X-Men number 125. Dun-da-da-da! This one's titled, There's Something Awful on Your Island. We're talking weird. Give you a hint, it's not Havoc's feet. Although that is pretty awful. Mm-hmm. The cover of this features the Phoenix effect separating a couple of different stories. One of those stories apparently being the perils of the danger room, and the other being the mystery of Muir Island. The perils of the danger room? That doesn't sound very threatening. No, sounds dull. Mm-hmm. We get that like every other issue. And do you really feel like it's time for a dramatic return of Phoenix? I don't feel like she was gone. She, yeah, well, I mean, she Jean Grey hasn't been gone, but the Phoenix really hasn't done much since that whole, uh, what, galaxy swallowing thing? I guess. Or whatever, she well, intertwining of the galaxies. Well, the last time we saw her was when she was fighting Magneto, right? Was that... Yes, it was. You're right, because it was prior to that that she did that whole galaxy thing. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a good 12 or so issues ago that we just really haven't seen the Phoenix do Phoenixy type stuff. Yeah, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, this return better be dramatic. That's all I got to say. So on the right-hand side of this cover, uh, which is a Cockrum Austin cover, by the way, uh, there looks like a Frankenstein monster or Colossus is going to attack Havok, Madrox, and Lorna Dane. It does have Colossus's head. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of got, like, I don't know, a, a Frankenstein monster shirt type thing going on there. Frankenstein? Yes. All this and more, the comic book guarantees it. It's true. Yes. Yeah, I, so. I don't think we're going to get everything that the comic guarantees. <laughs> well... Let's just open her up and find out, eh? All right. Is this an all-Canada issue? I, I, uh, you said A. <laughs> oh, not 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 this issue. Sorry. Uh, but we do have Chris Claremont, John Byrne, and Terry Austin authoring, penciling, and inking. Tom Orzachowski, Glynis Ween, uh, uh, lettering and coloring, Roger Stern editing, and Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief. And actually, since you do bring up Canada, that's a great segue. I was reading in the letters section that Vindicator, uh, Shaman... And Sasquatch are not mutants, according to the letter section. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So then Alpha Flight is not an all-mutant team. They're basically more like the Avengers than the X-Men. Yeah, kind of a mishmash of altered heroes and mutants. Sort of like the Avengers. Yeah. So just uh, just to, in case anybody was, like, really worried about that one, we've, we've solved the mystery. Now, you probably don't know the answer to this, and I certainly don't. Are they... Uh, separating Chris Claremont author and John Byrne penciler because John Byrne is no longer sharing in the storytelling credits? That I do not know. I wonder. I wonder too. Pay attention to that for future issues. Yeah, I wonder too. But uh, so we we, we are on Muir Island and uh, the Phoenix is in her Phoenix outfit and she's got the bird all surrounding her and she's blazing her powers and, and Moira's got a bunch of I don't know what she's got, but they're pointed at her. Yes, they're uh, detection machines. Yeah. They're detecting something. <laughs> they're detecting whether or not... Yeah, Phoenix detectors, we'll call them. How about that? <laughs> she is definitely in the room. <laughs> Moira Alar- has figured that much out. <laughs> All of these little gun-like machines tell me you're here, so uh, it's working. 
And uh, we get a little bit of background about how Jean Grey is a telepath and a telekinetic uh, person and a founding member of the X-Men and blah, blah, blah. And then we get a little bit of background on Moira McTaggart, second only to Charles Xavier on genetic mutations. And she looks like, um, uh, who's the girl from uh, Scooby-Doo here? Velma? Yes, she looks like Velma here. Well, she's wearing the big goggles. Yeah. And the hair, the hair doesn't really do her much good here either. Well, as soon as she takes off the goggles, she no longer looks like Velma. Oh, so maybe it's like the sexy girl effect. Like in movies, when they take their glasses off, their hair comes down, <laughs> and it's like harpsichord music comes on, and it's like, oh, you are pretty underneath those glasses and hair. Today, looking at this woman she's come to know, uh, come to love as the daughter she can never dare have. Why is that? Moira McTaggart is afraid. A lot of things that I think they tried to cover in classic X-Men, they seem to be just putting in here. So there's some more of that that happens. Now, they never covered this particular piece in classic X-Men, but we're just starting. We're, we're, we're laying the seed that Moira McTaggart dare not have a daughter or a son or a child. One of the computer screens says, hi, John, how you doing? Still doing stuff? Uh... Still drawing funny books, hun? Uh, when are you when are you get a real job gonna get? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Tom Morzachowski apparently is uh married to John Byrne. Because <laughs> he's the one doing the lettering. Uh, or Moira McTaggart. The only part so okay, we're we're planting the seed that Moira dare not have a child or or whatever. But how nowhere in there have we seen anything where Moira has taken to Jean as the daughter she dare never have. You know what I mean? No, this is one of those things where they're telling, not showing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jean is in the machine, and she's like, she's wondering how much longer she's got to be in this this machine. It's getting kind of boring. Yeah, she's she wants to go. Mm-hmm. I got stuff to do. And she whips off all her clothes for some reason, which won't make or- any sense in a few moments. But yeah, she 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 deep cloaks by there's like some energy on her skin and then she's naked for some reason yeah she is able to transform her clothes but she decides to put on a physical robe but first she completely she uh takes off her clothes completely for moira's benefit i don't know i mean look moira's sitting there in her chair she's hunched over Jean is bare-chested staring at moira and it's kind of like you know as a kid i was always like Oh my God! Do girls do this? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was if this is put in there to like try to up the the audience, but man, it really it really did wonders for my imagination growing up. <clears throat> but anyways, uh, so Jean's wondering if she's figured out or if Moira's figured out anything about Jean's powers, and and Moira's kind of like, no, I just I'm finding more questions than answers. And uh, we see a man kind of staring in on them. He was probably watching the show. Yeah. He's he's at the right angle. He is. He saw it all. His name was Angus McWhirter, and he was a most unpleasant man when he was alive. So this guy's dead. Mm-hmm. We saw him. We remember him, yeah. He was, uh, last we saw him, he was being attacked by something, and then we saw a mention of him right. by some Scottish rogues. And if we go all the way back, he's the hovercraft boat renter guy. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, I forgot about that. That is that is one of the things that I like about, about Claremont. He like, keeps these little tiny nuggets just going for a very long time. But that's the other problem, though, with a comic book. Like somebody else picking this up, like you don't have any idea of – not that it matters, but still. No, you don't You don't really need to know who I Angus McWhorter is. So maybe it's more of just like a, a Easter egg for those that have been reading for a long time and for the newbies coming in, it's like, eh, it's just some guy. It's fan service. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Fair enough. Moira points out that there's no comparison between the Marvel girl of old and the Phoenix is now. Her psi powers have made – a quantum leap. Sometimes Jean says she wishes she'd, she'd stayed dead on that sh- uh, shuttle. And then she has a couple of page flashbacks. Uh, you, she remembers the shuttle and she remembers reforming after kind of almost dying-ish. And then she remembers saving the universe and she remembers battling Magneto and uh, losing her powers shortly 
well, during that battle. And then she remembers losing all the X-Men, flying on because she needed a vacation, and the professor was not health-supporting her grief, but trapped in his own grief. And she remembers being on the plane and meeting up priest who apparently is teaching her the macarena yeah yeah he is he's a very nice priest she met all sorts of kind gentle people on her vacation but also time her pain passed her life began anew but also she 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 points out to moira that she is aware that moira she is. She feels that Moira thinks that she may not be able to handle this newfound power. So they're they're also trying to weave that sort of uncertainty into this issue. That is important. Yep. And so, uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> across the earth, uh, some other folks that are were sad at the death of Jean. I guess the yes, X Men. Terrible, tragic irony is that her grief was unnecessary because the X Men are alive. Mm-hmm. And they are in the danger room where Cyclops is running, uh, I guess, running them through a series of tests. I almost feel like this little hoop test that Storm is flying through is a callback to Angel's old hoop tests. Mm, it could be. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it probably is. Probably. I mean, it's got to be the same equipment, right? Not, well, you never know. I mean, I, I guess, why wouldn't you reuse it? So uh, Storm is flying through some hoops. There's a segment of wall that is... Uh, pushing down on Colossus. Wolverine's got his claws out for some reason, and Nightcrawler is sticking to the side of the wall. These are the perils of the danger room, as referred to on the cover. Yeah. yeah this is a much different danger room than what we're used to, it to today. It smaller? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Less fire traps. Okay, Colossus, your problem is to get out from under that hydraulic ram before it crushes you, and you'd better hurry. Its force will double every 15 seconds. Wolverine offers to help out. Colossus says no. He thinks this test is intended for him. And Wolverine decides to help anyway and slashes a X into the wall, thinking that he will turn the power off. Not sure how that works. But he ends up getting uh, splashed in the face with a mighty torrent of water. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, Wolverine. Better luck next time, says Cyclops. Enjoy your shower, my friend. Nightcrawler laughs. Don't laugh, Crawler. Your turn will come. And almost on cue, the wall folds in, causing Nightcrawler to lose his concentration, I guess. And he teleports into a different area of the danger room in which Cyclops turns on some sonic beams that disorient Nightcrawler. They're disrupting my concentration, can't port or even think. Cyclops tells Banshee to turn everything off and says, Pathetic people, really pathetic. You either overreact to the danger room or you treat it like a joke. For your information, Wolverine and Nightcrawler are both dead and didn't help Colossus a bit. I don't know. Do you, do you think Wolverine's dead from a splash in the face with water? It could have been acid, Adam. <laughs> And then Nightcrawler fell and broke his neck or something. So how yeah, come I'm still I, breathing, bub? I think uh, I think Cyclops is overreacting a little bit. Oh, totally. There's there'll be more of it too. Wolverine gets all mad at Cyclops and he's like, "Look, I did just fine on my own, bub. I need a brew. You'll know where to find me if you need me." Everybody's overreacting. <laughs> and Look then at Wolverine in this, oh, he just totally flips out. Oh, he does. He does not like water. No. <laughs> Wolverine don't like to get wet. <laughs> Not good for the fur. <laughs> Cyclops goes to Storm and says, You're all such strong and strong-willed individuals. I doubt you'll ever mesh as effectively as the original X-Men. Hmm, really? Yeah, I don't, yeah, they must be really bad. <laughs> Either that or Cyclops, his memories of the original team are way better than the actual reality. Or perhaps Chris Claremont hopes that our memories of the original team are not that accurate. As I recall, the original team was like, I'll go manage to fight them, and then, no, don't go, beast! Oh, now I will go. Stop, Iceman, don't do that. We can't fight them one at a time. Okay, it's my turn. (laughs) Yes, yes. Chris Claremont's like, yeah, it's 1979. Who read that old stuff? But Cyclops does say, I'm not even sure that's a desirable goal anymore. 
but we've got to be better than we are. We've, we're good, but we've also been real lucky, and our luck can't last forever. I mean, Maybe if we get a mutant whose power is luck, that might help. <laughs> but that won't be for a while. Um, honestly, Cyclops is being kind of a bitch here. <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. You're not as good as my old team. Maybe you don't even need to be as good as my old team. But we've been lucky, even though we've uh, escaped death's uh, jaws more than a dozen times here. Luck. All of it luck. Well, Cyclops acknowledging here that these X-Men are just different and that they are not necessarily worse than his old team as a team. They're just different. Well, that that's fine, and he could say that, but... Well, he kind of is, and then he just, you know, he, he, you know, the lucky thing. I don't see him so much as a bitch, just as being a little whiny. Yeah. He's overreacting for sure, and so everybody is. This is, this. I don't know. Six yeah, of one, half a dozen of the other. Everybody. Jeez. Well, anyways, while while Cyclops continues on his hissy fit, we we change our perspective to that of Asteroid M. I forgot this page existed. Did you? Yeah, yeah well, it doesn't really uh, have much to do with the rest of this story, so I'd forgotten about it. It doesn't have much. It doesn't have anything to do with the rest of this story, but I like it. Oh yeah, I like it too. I mean, and this is the first we're seeing about uh, a lot of a lot of stuff about Magneto, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, and on one page in a few short panels, we get more substance of Magneto uh, than we ever have uh, outside of classic X Men. Well, do we, or is it just because we don't really, none of it really goes anywhere. It's really just opening up kind of a mystery. Well, then that's we're cool. Not, we're not getting much substance. We're just, we're getting some some uh, pre-background, I yeah. guess. So Magneto is in his, is an asteroid M. He's recuperating from the volcano battle. He's watching some memory tapes. And one of those memory tapes happens to be of his very first battle with the original X-Men. Which is kind of weird. It, it is a little weird, like. Why is he remembering that? Yeah. And the memory tape circuit crosses with uh, memory tape seven, which appears to be a tape of Magda, his late wife. What the heck are memory tapes? Uh, well, Magneto, he, he, he's like a, he, he, he has like a USB port on the back of his head <laughs> and he just dumps like a daily dump onto a thumb drive. He's got hundreds of these memory tapes. I remember when I fought the X-Men. I'm not sure why I'm using Cyclops' voice for that. Uh, and so apparently he was running out of memory tapes, so he took this Magda one and decided to erase it. Uh, he's like, well, you know, Dallas is going to be on soon, and I'm going to need something to record it on. My late wife. I'd almost forgotten how beautiful you were, how deeply it hurt when you ran away from me, but that was long ago when I still believed I was only human and he erases this seemingly important memory but apparently not to him Meh. interesting i am older now and i've learned my lessons well soon all the world will tremble before my power but magneto isn't the only one with plans afoot so i mean for all these years we've been seeing magneto just doing evil things for and most of the time like with cartoon villainy but at least now we're like, oh, well, there's some love and some, what, when he believed he was human? Like, what happened? Yeah. It seems like they're setting some stuff up. Exactly. Which is good. I agree. 100%. Meanwhile, though, in, where were we? We're in uh, Stornaway. Stornaway, yep. In the Hebrides Islands. We are at the upstairs room of the Red Lion Inn, in which a man named Jason Wingard is sitting next to a fireplace, thinking to himself. And it looks like... Man, you should note that it's a man who calls himself Jason Wingard, not a man who is named Jason Wingard. Good point. And uh, he's just reflecting on how patient he has been with Ms. Gray. And uh, he's got partners in this whole thing, so he's not acting alone. Oh, yeah. He even reveals that his partners... Uh, well, eventually he reveals that they're called the Hellfire Club. Mm-hmm. Has he, has he mentioned the Hellfire Club before? I can't remember. I keep, I'm getting all my circuits crossed with the classic X-Men stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes things confusing. <laughs> uh, he does think about how he was the priest that we just saw earlier on, uh, the plane with Jean Grey, mm -hmm. and he is also a young man coming out of the beach approaching a bikini-clad Jean Grey which 
is the sole panel that inspired the previous classic X-Men story, as you'll recall. Yep, sure, when he met, when she met that young, attractive man. Which I find interesting that Chris Claremont was like, I'm going to take this panel and make an entire story out of it. Well, because it was a, more of an excuse to see Jean Grey in a bikini would be my guess. His alternative <laughs> was the priest story. And he's like, yeah, this just doesn't go anywhere. It's not enough bikinis in the priest story. <laughs> I have a question, though. So she's drinking like a lemonade or maybe it's a vodka lemonade. We don't know. She's reading a book. It looks like she's got like a little tin of maybe some lip balm or maybe it's some uh, uh, t- suntan lotion or something. But it also looks like she's got a pack of cigarettes and a lighter next to her. Yep, she's a smoker. I had no idea. She's also got an iPad. Uh, yeah, well, or, it looks like an iPhone. An iPhone. <laughs> a very thin yeah. iPhone. Um, yep, so... Is it like a big stick of gum? That, I don't know. That I just left as like, that's like her bookmark or something, maybe. It's a Band-Aid. <laughs> Very big Band-Aid. Um, so Jason Wingard, he uses in quotes, uh, you've only met me once, but soon you will trust me, and that trust will turn into love. And as easily as I mold this mental image of you from the day you first met the X-Men to your original Marvel Girl garb, the older, wiser Marvel girl to Phoenix, and finally to the Black Queen. How does he know what she looked like when he fir- when she first joined the X Men? He was there. <laughs> this is Professor X. He was. I was the chair. Nobody knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and so I shall mold you, Jean Grey. And this is when he reveals: until the day the Hellfire claims you for its own. The Hellfire Club, even yes, and we trans uh, the we transform from the Black Queen into a Marvel girl who looks like she's just uh, admiring herself in the mirror, kind of uh, mischievously. She is. She's all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's raising an eyebrow. She's pouting her lips a little bit. She's wearing a black dress, or actually, I guess it's a black shirt, but still. It kind of matches the Black Queen outfit from previous. Hey, Carrot Top, rise and shine! Lorna Dane says. And uh, Marvel says, what? I must have... I'm sorry, Lorna! My mind must have wandered! I'll say you went spacey right in the middle of a sentence. I was starting to get worried. I can take care of myself! Famous last words. She goes on to say that uh, she envies Alex and her for attempting to build a life that has nothing to do with the X-Men or having mutant powers, even though they're spending a lot of time hanging out at a mutant research center. You can do the same, Gene, if you want to. But I don't, Lorna. Not when I can do this. And that's when she transitions uh, from... Well, she pirouettes across the room, changing into five different outfits instead of taking all of her clothes off. So apparently getting naked, she reserves for Moira. Strange. Lorna Dane. Well, for some reason, she needed to change into real clothes when she was with Moira. Now she's wearing her fake clothes. Does this mean that she's naked right now and she's just like telepathically projecting clothes? I don't know. I was wondering the same (laughs) thing. That's hot. (laughs) Uh, this time though, look at, uh, Lorna as she's changing clothes. She's like all happy and clapping her hands. Do it yeah, again. Well, do know, it again. It's, it's neat. It's a deliberate attempt to lighten the mood and change the subject. This time, Lorna lets her get away with it. Usually she doesn't. Stop that. Don't do she's that like, anymore, Jean. I hate the fashion show. <laughs> you do this every time. It gets old. <laughs> Well, meanwhile, uh, in the laboratory, Moira is trying to go over the results. And she's, Apparently she's been studying it all night. She's not sure why most of Jean's power seemed to vanish after a while. I don't understand what well, that means. No, she is sure now. She's fairly certain now why most of Jean's power seemed to vanish after a while. Some sort of oh. instinctive... Psychic circuit breaker must have engaged, cutting Jean's power back from its cosmic peak to cope with to, to, to something she could cope with. But the power still exists within her. Remember, she's Charles Scot. I, remember, she's Scottish. Oh yeah. Charles and I had suspected <laughs> that she had. I can't do two things at once. <laughs> Charles and I suspected that she had this kind of potential, but we never dreamed she'd achieve it. There. <laughs> 
and we'll if, keep going. If she ever taps into it again, she could become something akin to a god. Wherever you are, child's of Xavier, I hope you're happy because I wish you were here because you're needed badly. I also wish you were here, but I hope you're happy. At that moment on a world called Imperial Center, the newly crowned Lalandra is uh, Empress Lalandra is hosting the first state ball of her reign. Captain Picard sits in the background in his floating wheelchair. It wasn't just me who thought that. So that that begs like when they rebooted Star Trek and launched the next generation, was Gene Roddenberry studying the X-Men comics going, you know, they've copied me a few times. Maybe it's time for me to copy them. Those outfits from X-Men 125, I totally need to make those into Starfleet uniforms. <laughs> No, I mean, other than the colors are the same and the fact that the shoulders are black, there's no similarity. It's just, it's interesting that the man who Jean-Luc Picard will portray looks like Jean-Luc Picard. And then when Brian Singer was like, I need to copy Star Trek, I know, I'll get Jean-Luc Picard to play uh, Captain, or uh, (laughs) Professor. I'll get Jean-Luc Picard to play Professor Xavier, thereby bringing everything full circle. Oh my god, it's cosmic, everybody. Look into it. There's blog posts on this somewhere that I'll have to write so you can find them. Xavier zooms away in his chair. (laughs) It it totally looks like it makes that noise. (laughs) But uh, this alien world, it's got like little slime slugs crawling across the floor, multi-armed people, short people, really tall people, evil-looking pink people. Uh, there's a. It looks like there's a blue guy riding an orange guy's back. Yeah. So it reminds a, me of that episode of Doctor Who where they go to the end of the Earth. Oh, the end of the universe. No, I think it was just the Earth. Oh. The day the Earth died or something. Yeah, and they met the face of Bo. Yeah, and oh. the last human. Yep. Just a flap of skin. Everyone here except Lavandra treats me like some sort of village idiot, but perhaps I, by their standards, I am. They the remember this dialogue. The Omegaphile, please. So he, the Omegaphile apparently is the universal file that has the story of what happened on Earth. Um, Because the professor says the events happened so quickly that he didn't have a chance to debrief the X-Men after they saved Lalandra. But the whole story is on the Omegaphile. Strange. It's not like Omegaphile.1. It's just the Omegaphile. <laughs> and they're in a library that has a lot of different files, if you look. And Only we hear... one of them is the Omegaphile. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Uh, so he settles in to read this, uh, and it's called The End of All That Is, or... It's when the X-Men fought to prevent the unleashing of a force known only as the end of all that is. That force was a neutron galaxy held in check by a series of interlocking stasis fields. But the fields are breaking down and Jean Grey saved the day. Yep. Virtually virtually single-handedly, Jean saved everything. My God. My God! For all I must of- return to Earth at once. She's going to lose control. And he gets kind of a little high and mighty there. He's like, Jean is only human. I doubt even I could control such power. She couldn't possibly. Number one, engage. (laughs) (laughs) Captain, I can't let you beam down to the surface. It's against Starfleet protocol. I must go instead. Very well. Make it so. Well, back on Earth, Moira is still thinking about Jean, and she's got to tell Jean the truth. I don't know what the truth about what, like that she might be godlike if she uses her powers too much. I guess. All right. She walks. She, that she might lose control, maybe? I don't know. She walks by the fateful door that says Mutant X No Entrance, which is apparently only four feet tall. <laughs> so, Mutant X was a shorty. <laughs> there's a really weird perspective thing going on here in this panel. I wonder if the door was that short in when it in the other appearances it, it has made. Oh, well, that's a good point, because this is the first time that we're actually seeing the door next to a person. Yeah. Um, ah, who knows? And that's when she steps on something. Skitch. She bends it's down. It's a gold tooth, but whose? Unless, oh, I found it right in front of Mutant X's cell. No, that's impossible. The cell door reads sealed. The sensors register him inside. She puts her hand up to the hand scanner, opens the door, and says, No, oh no! Oh my. Meanwhile, outside the building, Jean Grey, in the last outfit that we saw her wearing, is 
Walking by Jamie Madrox and Alex Summers. Will you look at her, Alex? I don't know. What, what does Jamie sound like? I guess just a dude. He's just Will a dude. Will you look at her, Alex? Not cold or anything. I'm wearing a parka and I'm freezing. And Havoc thinks to himself that she's showing off, using telekinetic ability to manipulate her body's metabolic levels to counteract the cold, blah, blah, blah. Alex should shield his thoughts better. That last one stood out like a sore thumb. He's right, though. I am showing a lot off a little. And why not? In public, I'll conceal my identities, but alone or among supposed, in quotes, friends, I'll dress and act as I darn well please. And then she starts arguing with herself. Oh, there's no need to make a federal case out of this. Alex is just concerned about, hold it. Moira's thought thought patterns are they're chaotic, terrified, something's wrong. I better get to her fast as Phoenix. She has to think, like, I can't go as Jean Grey, and I can't go as Wolverine, so I better go as Phoenix. (laughs) So she turns into Phoenix and flies over to find Moira. Changing my outfit is fun! (laughs) I'm really naked! So she, (laughs) this is, this is liberating. She flies around a corner and finds herself in a Victorian outfit. It's gone. I'm in some kind of 18th century Regency mansion and I'm different too. And she reaches out with her psi powers and discovers that what she sees and what she feels is real. It's no illusion. But this is crazy. It can't be. And that's when she gets jumped by an ambush. Something that we can't tell what it is. She reckons that what she just saw, the, the dress and the Regency mansion, was just an illusion. It must have been a diversion for this attack that is occurring. Okay, Buster, you're about to get the surprise of your life. Ah! Yeah, I don't know, for all of her powers, she seems to be taken down pretty quickly. Alex, that scream. It's Jean. Come on. Madrox says to Havoc. Well, but meanwhile, halfway across the world, it's two in the morning, and a Quinjet lands outside of the mansion. It's Beast. Even Avenger Hank McCoy, a.k.a. the Beast. He decided to check up on the mansion, and he notices that the doors are open for some reason. Or no, I guess he opened the doors. But the alarms are no longer set. We see uh, Nightcrawler's eyes in the upper left, uh, right-hand corner there. Oh, I didn't even see that until just now. But he does. He jumps out of the shadows and says, Freeze, intruder. And, and uh, it's dark out, so these two can't see each other, and they begin to fight. What have I got here anyway? It feels like I'm wrestling a gorilla. You! Yikes! And he teleports away as he gets a clear view of Hank McCoy, a.k.a. the Beast. Oh, my stars and garters. What, the Nightcrawler? What the what? And Nightcrawler says, Night, oops, damn it. Nightcrawler says, I'm Geist. Which means... life right before my eyes. I saw it. I fought it. Fought what, friend Kurt? A ghost. beast. (laughs) Oh, I'm really missing these audio cues, aren't I? He, uh, Nightcrawler says it was a ghost, although Eingeist, as it turns out, means a spirit. But yeah, what are you gonna do? Apparently, they decided. I, I think I looked. The, the, I typed in a ghost into the Google Translate, and it said it was like a Gdansk or something like that. And he also says, uh, "Cyclops, it was Das Bestie, the Beast." Although you, Which, s- as I learned from Google Translate, means the Bestie. <laughs> and uh, as near as we can reckon. Das Beast. Is actually The Beast, but it's B-I-E-S-T. Das Beast. Let's go. Whatever Kurt saw, it's an intruder, so let's not take any chances. Shoot first and ask questions later. Let's go. Storm, come with me. Colossus, back us up. I want one of you to attack first while the other watch. (laughs) While the others watch. My question is, what was Nightcrawler doing out there? Was he just like... He was hanging out above the door, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, oh, since the alarms are off, I've been told to be the, the watchdog. Do not know if I like this. <laughs> I'm just practicing hiding in the shadows. Yes. And so Cyclops jumps out of the danger room and says, All right, no false moves or, Hank, is it really you? Scotty, you're alive. This is fantastic. But how did you escape? 
Genie got me out. Gene? Gene's alive? You betcha, boss man. And then... <laughs> you betcha, boss man. <laughs> and we get a story about what happened um, when each team thought that the other team died. Boy, is she ever going to be surprised. In this panel, Nightcrawler is peeking around the corner. Is it a ghost? I can't... I'm not sure still. Das Besties ist ein Geist. <laughs> Kill it. Yeah, he doesn't come out for quite a while. And even on the next panel, he's just like, I don't know. I still don't trust this. He's still in the background <laughs> like, mm, I'm not so sure about this one. I don't see it. He's dead. I saw him die. <laughs> so uh, Cyclops tells Sean to get the black, uh, the Blackbird ready to fly. Which is... Demure Island, boyo. Anytime. All we have to do is say the word and we're on our way. So now, oh, and, and Cyclops says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Moira and let her know we're coming. But, but. They've been saying this for months now. I'm going to make that phone call that I've been meaning to make. <laughs> Finally. For like 20 weeks. And Sean, I mean, Sean is in love with Moira. I mean, hasn't this call happened yet? I never thought the call, or what can I say? <laughs> I thought I needed to leave a quarter in the quarter jar, and I just haven't gotten paid this month yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it don't make a lot of sense. I, you know, there was there was a lot of stuff on TV, Boyle. <laughs> I've been talking to Moira a lot, actually. We just never talk about this. Yeah. We never thought to talk about Jean or the fact that they all think you're dead. And me, actually. So it's quite weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Or maybe, no, did we, maybe Jean uh, showed up on Muir Island and nobody's talked about the old X-Men at all. Yeah. So Moira's like, oh, the X-Men are just off on a mission. And and Jean's like, oh, they're dead. But they've just never verbalized it. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, the phone rings on Muir Island. Uh, but but uh, everybody has heard the screams and everybody's on high alert and they're on their costumes. Madrox and Havoc are getting ready to go take a look at it. And they're like, Lorna, just, just let that phone go. We have to go to the lab. But that's our special transatlantic line. I'm going to answer it. If, if it's, it's the Professor X or the Beast. And if things are as serious as Alex fears, we could use their help. Mirror Island Research Center, Lorna Dane speaking. <laughs> Lorna, this is Scott. Scott who? <gasps> Scott, you're alive. Not just me, Lorna. All the X-Men are alive and well. Your voice sounds strained. Is anything the matter? Wolverine's in the background chugging beer still. Still mad about that whole danger room thing. Uh, friggin' danger room. Stupid Cyclops with his one eye. Hate that futzer. (laughs) And uh, Lorna says, uh, she's not sure, but Gene and Moira in the lab, and then there was a scream, and and you could come and help us, I think, would be a good idea. And in the window, there's a creepy-looking dude. Oh, yeah. Coming to get Lorna, it looks like, uh, because she turns around and, and says, Scott, I'd feel a whole lot better, dot, dot, dot. And we hear, human, I need you. <laughs> Scott, what is it, lad? You've gone pale as a sheet. It's Lorna. I heard her scream, and then the line went dead. Uh, next issue, how sharper than a serpent's tooth. Oh, so Serpentor will be in the next issue. <laughs> He'll be inventing pizza. <laughs> yeah. So did you, ever, did you ever read that issue? It was like a yearbook or something. No. He had a flashback with Doctor Mindbender where he invented pizza. Oh no, I I never in like one of his one of like Caesar or something. Oh okay, sure that makes sense because he is made out of the parts of all the great leaders. Right. Yep. So there you go. A little, a little reset if issue, if you will. Yeah, it was a good one. I enjoyed this one. Yes, as much fun poking as I did at it, I do like this issue, and it also it kind of makes me like, oh, I want to read the next one, right? It gets you. Yeah, things are happening exactly, and even though like comic books are supposed to be action packed, there really wasn't all that much action. It was just a lot of story set up and. I don't know. Maybe even a little bit of tension with this mystery dude running around. So it's good. And finally, everybody knows everybody's alive. Yeah, that was mostly that was dragging uh, a bit much, in my opinion. Just a bit. Yeah. Well, if you would like to communicate with us, you could uh, you could visit us at www.xmenpodcast.com, or you could uh, go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. 
or you could follow us at Danger Room Go and email us at dangerroom at redcatproductions.com. Also, you could head out to the iTunes page and leave us a five-star uh, review um, or rating and uh, a little review if you would choose to do so, and that would be fantastic. So I guess that means it's time for us to move on to the classic X-Men portion of our show. It's true. This is classic X-Men number 31, which I believe is March 1988. 89. 89, sure, one of the two. Uh, Who did this cover? Someone named Steve Lytle. Hmm, okay. Well, it's a it's a cover with Jason Wingard holding Phoenix in the palm of his hand. She's got a strange foot. She does. Like her costume boot has toes. This is a solid drawing, except for that foot. Yeah, I like Jason Wingard. Jason Wingard is uh, drawn quite well. Jean, for the most part, is although I'm not a huge fan of her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a little cartoony. I like I like cartoony, so I'm okay with it. Uh, the inside piece is um, Nightcrawler looking in a mirror that features Beast and then Beast looking into a mirror that features Nightcrawler. Not sure what's being said here. Eh, I don't know. Didn't they do this one other time where they had the two of them looking at each other or doing each other's hair or something? <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> I don't know. I I like it. I mean, they're both blue fared, blue furred mutants, I guess. No, it doesn't make it. Yeah. It doesn't really make any sense, but but there you go. But the story that we're going to do is called the spigot at the end of the universe written by Anno Senti, drawn by John Bolton, lettered by art or Joe Rosen and colored by Petra Scottese. Scottese. And if we didn't say that he was Captain Picard before, he is definitely Captain Picard now. Oh, man. Well, it's 1989, so I believe Next Generation's been released, hasn't it? Oh, it's a good question. I, think, I guess so, I think yeah. Next Generation was like 88 or 89. But anyways, uh, Captain Picard, I mean, Professor X is playing space chess with himself. As Captain Picard was often known to do. Sure. I mean, there's there's like, there's three layers to this chessboard, just like in Romulan chess or whatever they would play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's drinking tea, Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> yes. And an alien comes over and says, Professor Xavier, why don't you play a game with my little boy? <laughs> is, this, are, is this like a Star Trek thing? Because he does kind of look like the alien from uh, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> really? Obi-Wan! Oh. <laughs> oh, why don't you come over here and I'll tell you stuff and fit into the table that I don't fit into. <laughs> yes, my belly won't even touch it, but I am going to be animated as though it does. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, actually, that, that well, that's probably the inspiration for the voice, but it was not on the forefront of my mind, so it must have been something subconscious. I think not. I play alone. Yeah, let's go, Scamp. It's getting a bit chilly in here. Oh, rude. He's just a human and a consort at that. I spit uh, on that consort. And Captain Xavier turns into a little baby and throws the chessboard aside and it's like, these these guys just think I'm a human and, and man. I'm brilliant on Earth, but here I am considered a village idiot. And my brilliance at home made me alone. And my dumbness here makes me alone. What a catch-22. <laughs> so being defeated and humiliated, he wanders into Lilandra's strategy room where they're trying to negotiate some economic sanctions or something for the the Remy world. Apparently that's where Gambit came from. <laughs> and he, Professor X, interrupts Lilandra to make a suggestion, which is just, it's a jerk move. Well, and she's the queen of the universe or something. Exactly. Like it's like, what is he trying to prove here? Mid-sentence, he's like, may I suggest that the race in question be left alone to sort out their own fate, even though it's I... It's the prime directive. <laughs> we shouldn't interfere. We may observe, but not interfere. Even though he knows nothing of this alien race, what they did, what and the, he just came into the meeting, what the laws of the universe are, but the 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 council looks at him and they're like, "What? 
Yeah, they're not looking at him because of what he said. They're just looking at him because, who are you? <laughs> like, What I, a jackass. They're like, I'm surprised you were able to put those words together in an intelligible sentence. Good for you. Why don't you go play some chess with Scamp? And Lilandra excuses herself and escorts the professor outside and says, why don't you leave the governing to me? The the, the adults are talking right now. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone treats me like an idiot here. Even you. Perhaps it's because you're beginning to act like one. <laughs> Lilandra, he says, crossing his arms against his chest. Uh, you just suggested what I was about to suggest, you dork. <laughs> Uh, yes. Shouldn't, as a, as a representative of the human race, shouldn't you be trying to show them what uh, it, what is special about and wonderful about humans? Loosen up! And that's when a kooky-looking alien walks by. Named Chakra. Named Chakra. She's green and she has french fries for her head. One of her eyes is wide open and the other one's kind of closed a little bit. So she looks stupid! <laughs> That darn spinning at the end of you, this is uh, uh, leaking again. I'm off to, to fix it or wrestle it to death. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, little Andrew says, well, "That's that's a great idea. Why don't you take Why don't you take Charles with you?" <laughs> nice out there in the desert, lonely, empty, woeful. You know, nice. Oh, go on, darling. It'll be good for you. Trust me. I don't wanna. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I'm very smart. <laughs> I don't want to go with the plumber. Well, anyways, the plumber, she's, I don't know who, but she's calling somebody a puss. Uh, Professor X. Oh. Hey. Because he's all, he's a sour puss. I know, a great dirty joke. It's really sick. You'll love it. Uh, don't you, don't you find it humiliating? Uh, I am, yeah, forget uh. <laughs> Don't you find it humiliating to be a plumber among such advanced races? That's a hoot. <laughs> And she. <laughs> Those eggheads, if they didn't fix their plumbing, they'd be helpless. It turns out that uh, on the desert surface here, there's a very low oxygen content. I guess there's enough to. to I don't know what it would be mixed with. Then wouldn't it be more carbon dioxide than. than than um, ink, or, uh, oxygen? And then wouldn't prolonged exposure cause brain damage? Uh, she looks kind of insane in this panel, so <laughs> she might be suffering from a little brain damage. Her <laughs> just, eyes are, like, ex- bulging out of her head. I mean, I, I know it's just a comic book, but I'm wondering about the science, because, I mean, it is a plot point here that the air is thin, so every now and then they have to stop and take a breath out of their little oxygen masks, but they don't have to wear their oxygen masks at all times, and they can have lots of lots of dialogue, so, I mean, clearly they are breathing while they're not using their oxygen masks. So, Oops! You know I forgot to fill the tanks. Yes, and then she, you know, she didn't check the tanks. Well, we'll have to turn back. Look, a meteor shower! Ooh, they make me fade. Come on! <laughs> oh, I want to be right under the shower. Slap me if I pass out. Chakra, don't be a fool. We've got to go back. We'll die. And the showers will make you tinkle. And she <laughs> runs away, and she gets over to the spigot, which is in the middle of nowhere. Just kind of a neat. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, they have to go to the desert to fix the spigot, you know? Totally. Makes no sense, but it's kind of humorous. Yeah. And, there's, like, the spigot that controls the plumbing for the entire, like, <laughs> planet yeah. or something. Yeah, I, I'd buy it. Sure, why not? And so they get out to the spigot, and uh, the professor's like, even... So he's huffing and puffing, even though he's just flying around in this little wheelchair. <laughs> Well, he's running out of air, so <laughs> used huff. Uh, maybe instead of huff, they should have done like a wheeze or something. We I don't know. Huff have to puff. Turn back. No huff. We must. And then the crazy aliens like shush, relax, just look up. And the professor's all angry. He's like, I don't want to look. Uh, oh, oh. And apparently, the uh, carbon dioxide poisoning hits his brain as he becomes a little bit stupid looking himself. <laughs> Yep, there's actually no shower ahead at all. <laughs> oh, that's pretty. They're both just tripping. <laughs> Lack of oxygen makes you see funny things. That was, was, 
Indescribable. Oh, I should do a Jar Jar Binks for this character. <laughs> hey, neat. I forgot this piggot had an oxygen hose. Let me hook you up. Uh... That's a terrible Jar Jar. Whatever. <laughs> you also guys bomb bad. <laughs> you also say people going to die? <laughs> now you must tell me, who are you? You're not just a plumber. Oh, wait, that was Professor <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, you're not just the Empress's consort. The uh, Chakra remembers that the spigot had an oxygen hose attached to it, and so they're able to breathe again. Yes, they fill up their tank or they're taking hits off the, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> and so Chakra is much smarter than your typical plumber, but she's like, It's actually helium. Now you must tell me, who are you? You're not a plumber. Uh, why do you pretend to be stupid when you're actually very wise? She is a plumber. I'm a plumber. It, I'm proud of it. I'm essential. I fix the planet's inner workings. I fix the guts of all things. I make it all flow right. Why is that so stupid? What is stupidity? Is stupidity wanting to see a star shower? Is intelligence knowing when you're running out of air? My eyes are big. <laughs> Maybe intelligence is accepting whatever, uh, accepting what you are, whatever you are, whoever you are. With as much grace and bounce ah, as possible. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> so the professor, having learned his valuable lesson about, uh, you know, being grateful and enjoying life, uh, goes to challenge Skemp to a chess game. And everybody thinks, hmm, perhaps there is more to this human race than we thought, eh? So that's all it took? <laughs> like the professor just had to be a nice guy, and they're like, yeah, you know what? These humans might be smart after all. They're not total jerks. And uh, Lilandra comes in and says, can I interrupt you for a kiss? And Skemp is like, of course. So Skemp's <laughs> like, you betcha. Let me watch. Wait, wait a minute. No, you don't kiss him. Where's my kiss? <laughs> oh, no. That's not what I wanted. Darling, that girl. Who was that girl? Why, she's the plumber. She fixes things. Oh, she fixed the professor. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to read the ding. I had to read it twice to figure that one out. <laughs> and then because, like, Anne Nascenti couldn't figure out what to do with the last page, we get a full-page splash of Chakra out by the spigot. John just really wanted to draw Chakra again. That could be. And I mean, why not? She's cool. Uh, yeah. Fry hair. She's got French fry hair. She's got a a visor that's on like sideways backward. She's got like ghost Ghostbuster knee pads. Oh yeah, she's got like a, a utility thing. She got, well, she's got a utility belt, but she's also got something uh, around her midriff, which I don't know what that is, but it looks like it's electronic. She's got like a McDonald's hat. <laughs> looks like she burnt her arms in the uh, the fry machine there. <laughs> yeah, well, anyways. Uh, in this classic X-Men, there was a letter where somebody <laughs> was complaining about the various ways in which Gene's origin uh, of turning into Phoenix has been handled, whether it was the story told in Uncanny X-Men originally, the story that was told in Classic X-Men, or the story that was told in X-Factor. And the answer to the letter was, eh, it's Inferno, there's more to come. Inferno. <laughs> you think you know, you don't know. There's more. And on the back cover, we get another chakra jumping around with the professor. I'm crazy and wiser than I look. Look at me. <laughs> Yay. Well, there you go. Another stupid story. Um, that was probably the best one in a while. I like that one. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it was fun, and it was entertaining, and it was unusual, and it's all the things that don't bore me. (laughs) Oh. My question is this. Like, taking classic X-Men out of this particular uh, run, it looks to me as though, uh, and they they so much as said it, that they're trying to get Professor out of space. Do you think that they originally had this arc planned? Like, we'll send the Professor to space, he'll hate it, and then he'll come back. No. Or do you think... I think... Chris Claremont's making it up as he goes. Right. Or you think there's like kind of as they're going through the story, they're like, well, not really a whole lot to do with the professor in space. It's kind of boring. Maybe we should bring him back to Earth. Yeah. Why did we do this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Yeah. Well, there's some Star Jammer stuff coming up and, and some other stuff to do with space and the professor. Star but... Jammers jamming the universe. Save the song for when we get to Star Jammer stories, Adam. I can't help it. You should write background music to go along with that. Yes, you should, fans. <laughs> help Adam write the Star Jammer song. There you go. The The challenge has been dropped. Adam, have you done any supplemental reading? I have. I read Defenders 62, 63, and 64, which was a humorous story. Uh, the Defenders lineup currently is Valkyrie, Nighthawk, Hellcat, and Hulk, as well as their press agent, whose name is Dollar Bill. Oh. So wh- where's where are the X-Men? Well, let me tell you. Dollar Bill produces a documentary on the supposedly secret defenders, uh, revealing all the stuff that they did, which, uh, curiously enough, they stopped the rebirth of the demon race on Earth, a la Inferno. Oh. And um, at the end of the documentary, he says, uh, you know, there are no rules in the defenders. Anybody can be a defender. And in fact, here's our address. You sh- if you're a hero, you should just come out. You uh, you don't even have to be accepted. You just have to say you're an event or you're a defender, and you are! Yay! <laughs> and um, so the next day, all sorts of heroes show up because they want to be defenders, including Havoc and Polaris, who I don't think actually talk to each other in this entire uh, three issues. Now wait a minute. Where does in the current continuity that we're reading do, do these issues take place? This happens. Uh, I have trouble believing that this story actually happened because it doesn't really work. It had, Remember when Iron Fist was like, oh, when I hung out with Havoc, he told me all about how he was uh, how he was connected to the living monolith. Yes. Well, that it happened before that. Oh. Because Iron Fist is here too. Oh. So. Okay. So the uh, there's now there's like a, a several like uh, maybe thirty defenders. And they're all trying to figure out what to do. And then the, the real defenders are all mad and stuff that this happened. And then the, the, the new defenders decide that the Hulk doesn't deserve to be a defender anymore. So they kick him off the team, sort of. And then uh, it turns out that Iron Man shows up to tell the defenders that, hey, because of this stupid documentary you guys made, now villains in New York City are telling everybody they're defenders. Because apparently that's all you have to do. So they split up into three teams to go fight the defenders of or the villain defenders um and we get a we we get the return of the porcupine oh the blob uh plant man sweet and toad oh wow so Sounds all like sorts a- of cameos here toad is now and toad is now calling someone named libra master but i'm not sure if that's just cuz he calls everybody master okay so uh they sp- Kind of uh, the the villains have gone into two groups, and the uh, heroes have gone into three groups. So the heroes managed to defeat the the villains groups. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot more to tell than that. I mean, that that that's pretty much it. The there's a subway scene. Um, n- nobody dies or anything. <laughs> it it doesn't really end either. They just like I guess it just. Uh, a lot of the defenders quit, but there's a whole group of defenders that we never really realize what happens to them. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was it was funny, but I feel like it didn't really happen. Okay. And then I also read Avengers Annual Number Eight, which uh, featured Doctor Spectrum taking over the body of the Wasp, so that the Avengers have to go find the original Doctor Spectrum, and they send Beast to find him. And he's like a, 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 a on the lecture circuit right now as a kind of a, a priest, and he agrees to help, and then ends up actually stealing back his Doctor Spectrum powers to be a bad guy. But then Doctor Spectrum sees Thor and uh, takes over Thor because that's what he really wants his power, and uh, it it doesn't work out because Thor is too powerful. And that was pretty much the whole annual. There wasn't a lot of X-Men in that, but I read it because it has shows what Beast is up to. Oh, okay. Nice. Anything... That's it. That's it? That, that's it. I read the, those four issues. All right. 
Anything else you want to add to this this whole affair? Uh, make it so, number one. Until next week, the danger room is closed.